Good morning. This week, I came across a very interesting letter, and I thought you might find it interesting. My dear Wormwood, I am very pleased to hear that your patient is enjoying watching his church service online. We can use this to our great advantage while our father wrecks pandemonium on planet Earth with what those miserable creatures call their pandemic. But we must press our advantage here. Remind him on Sunday morning how much he loves sleeping in an extra hour and the comfort of being in his pajamas, sipping coffee, and getting to have his beloved device right in front of him rather than in his pocket as he, as he goes to church. Persuade him that using the chat feature on YouTube is connecting with fellow congregants, but only the people that he actually likes at his local congregation. Do not let him remember the ways a smile or a peal of laughter from his familiar pew members brought a kind of what they call tenderness to his heart. Do remind him of how irritating he found the children's chatter to be. Make sure that during these days he is only concerned with his spirituality and not his need for what is despicably called by their silly theologians, embodiment. That is the oldest trick of the enemy ever since he decided to become one of them. Exploiting his need for comfort and security now will be to our great advantage when his local congregation decides to start meeting in person again. First, he may decide to just stay home and watch another service online. And of course, we know that means he will eventually just lose interest because those silly beings have actually been designed by our enemy to lead each other's presence a design not any of our greatest teachers has ever been able to help me understand. Who would want a body, that self-destructing mass of cells and tissues? However, if by any chance you fail and your patient does decide to return to fellowship with his fellow demented creatures, make sure you have succeeded in creating in him a deadly fear of illness so he will decide to still stay away from the detested meal, even if satisfactory precautions are made. That meal is our enemy's greatest weapons in keeping those disgusting creatures in what he calls his kingdom. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. Well, my apologies to C.S. Lewis, but I can imagine such a discussion taking place between a senior and junior devil. But I have a feeling that for most of us at All Souls, especially because we are not used to looking at a screen in a worship service, this is probably not the temptation we are facing. Although technology has thrown us a seeming lifeline in this period of self-isolation, we know it is not enough. We miss really seeing each other in person, not mediated by a pixelated image. We miss the presence of a human body next to ours, the shared silences, the side conversations that are impossible on Zoom, the smiles we can no longer see under masks, the gift of speaking in unison without a time lag. And even if I hold a hope that most of us will never get used to or prefer the online variety of church going, I think it might be helpful to explore this step this morning why. Commentator Ken Myers suggested on a podcast I listened to recently that to fully embrace a virtual church or to think that it is really not that much different 
is to embrace a form of neo-Gnosticism. Gnosticism is the early Christian heresy that denied the importance of the body. And I agree with him in that Gnostic heresy taught that the body was evil, that God could only be experienced in spirit, and what was important to the Gnostics was a so-called secret light that Jesus passed on to his disciples, not his cross, his resurrection, or his ascension. And what speaks even more to the importance of Christ coming together in a body than his ascension, which we will be celebrating this coming Thursday. The centrality of the ascension in our faith is unfortunately overlooked. It is certainly a holy day that often passes by unnoticed. We understand that ours is a faith that believes in a God who became human, born of a woman, sustained on earth like we are by food and water, one who felt and knew touch, who experienced the most extreme form of human pain with his death on the cross. During Eastertide, we celebrate his resurrection from the dead and we live his post-resurrection stories and teachings. But what we often overlook is that this journey finds its culmination in Christ's disappearance into the clouds, his enthronement as the Lord of the new creation on the day of ascension. As our text today from First Peter proclaims, Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with the angels. Well, what does this mean exactly? Douglas Farrow, in his wonderful book, Ascension Theology, states this. The resurrection of the Lord is our hope, but the ascension of the Lord is our exaltation. Christ's exaltation in his human body teaches us that it belongs to God's creatures to have and to make and to be in a place. Our gospel reading this morning comes from what we call the Upper Road Discourse, the farewell speech Jesus gave to the disciples on the eve of his passion. The Upper Room Discourse is all about the ascension. Where is Jesus going? Why is he going? The fact that he, if he does not go, the Spirit cannot come. And if he goes, his followers will be given the ministry and mission of the Holy Spirit. But this place to which Jesus speaks of and goes to in his ascension, is this the place he goes to prepare for us? Where is it? It surely is not a place to which we can refer to in any terms which we can fully understand, physiologically, cosmologically, or otherwise. Nonetheless, our creeds teach us still to believe that Jesus remains who and what he is, a specific human creature who, be, who is God and was given time and place and is still given time and place and whose bodily return we await. And rather than perhaps speaking of up and down, perhaps a better way to speak of this place is to speak of the new creation that awaits us. In our passage this morning, we hear how Jesus prepares his disciples for what is to come and tries to impress upon them not the horror of it, but the wonder of it. Here he recognizes that his hour of glorification, his hour of death, has come. And, and what is he doing? He is encouraging his disciples 
and comforting them. He urges them to be obedient in love as he promises them that he is not abandoning them because a spirit, a helper, will soon indwell them. They will not be left as orphans because they will share a fellowship that will last forever. But it is not only the spirit which is promised to the disciples that night. He also gives them a meal in which he promises to always be present. Jesus on his ascension day then went to that place reserved for him by the Father to take his heavenly throne so that as he promised, the Spirit does come. It is poured out in Jerusalem on Pentecost and with that outpouring comes power, power to speak the gospel in boldness as Paul spoke it to the Athenians who could not have imagined a God who inhabited a human body or as Peter exhorts his churches to. And with the Spirit's coming, so does the outpouring of love that Jesus commanded his disciples to exhibit that last night with them. Love, indeed, is what characterized the early Christian community. We are told that these Spirit-filled followers of Jesus devoted themselves to fellowship with each other, to the caring of each other, such that they shared all in common, sold their possessions, and gave to those in need. Notice that these are all activities that have to do with bodily existence. And the book of Acts tells us that they broke bread together daily. And here is the irony. As the ascension speaks of an incomprehensible absence of Christ's body, the Eucharist, too, speaks to an equally incomprehensible presence in that very absence. When we begin our Eucharistic thanksgiving and pray, lift up your hearts, we are acknowledging that the real presence in the Eucharist celebrated on the earthly altar is a presence in and with Christ in heaven, where he stands before God as our great high priest. Douglas Farrow adds, as Christ became hidden in the clouds at the ascension, he is hidden in the mysteries of the bread and wine of the new creation, neither are no less a mystery to the faithful. This may be true, but tasting and drinking the heavenly mysteries embodies his presence for us. It is the provision that Christ has given us in this present age that reminds us we are not without hope that Christ is with us and that we may receive a taste of that new creation that is to come. It is truly that bread which has come down from heaven to be with us. That is why he promised, those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. One thinks of the road to Emmaus when the disciples said, did not we recognize him when he broke the bread with us? This is why our meeting in the flesh is essential to our faith. It is our essential business. We are called to love each other, so it does make sense that loving and bearing with one another becomes more difficult for us 
when we are not able to experience the embodiment that is so central to our faith. We are in a desert and we have experienced it as such. For ours is a faith that is situated in body that is indwelled by a spirit, in acts of love and kindness, in proclamation, in sharing bread and wine. That is why, deceits of any enemy withstanding, we all look forward to that time when we can be together again in the body. For when we are gathered together, he promises to be in our midst, and it is with that presence that comes an outpouring of love and grace that it is just not fully possible to experience any other way. But there are ways to mitigate our forced separation. Invite a fellow soul over for a stoop coffee hour, or maybe I could say because we're Anglicans, a stoop cocktail hour, where you sit on your stoop and your fellow congregant will bring out a lawn chair and sit on the sidewalk. Buy an extra bag of groceries and drop it off at the food pantry on your way home. Get off your computer just for, please, a few hours of the day. Do something that doesn't involve a computer, something that you might not even do ordinarily, like writing a letter or dropping a card to someone in the mail, taking walks, enjoying God's presence in nature, and make sure that your home does not become a place that never stops being your work. And if you haven't been able to pick up a pre-consecrated wafer yet, let us know, and we will make sure to arrange a time, and even if it means bringing it to you, because we are still able to share that bread together. Soon we'll be moving into phase three, and we are really looking forward to being able to organize ways that we can get together in groups of 10 or less. We're going to encourage house churches to get together, and if you aren't in a house church, we're going to try to um, arrange another way for you to meet with smaller groups, or even set up temporary house churches, or maybe even some of them you will decide to finally take the leap and join a house group. And there is a silver lining in our separation. Perhaps in this forced absence, we will come to a greater appreciation of the gift of our bodies and in-person church. Our present situation speaks to that attention that we experience on the road between the now and the not yet, as we experience the taste of the new creation and yet cannot fully realize it. So let me end with a word of hope from the Apostle Paul. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Amen. <laughs>